Greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be here and to worship with you this morning. We missed last Sunday. We were at Raleigh Springs, and we're happy to be here this morning. And if I share some things this morning that I heard last Sunday morning from Brother Lyndon or Brother Luke, I apologize for that. I uh, thought I'd share just a few things about Brother Keith's passing uh, before I came to the message this morning. First of all, I want to thank everyone for and I can't mention all the ways that you blessed us since Brother Keith's passing as a family. There were cards and text messages and WhatsApps and food and personal words of encouragement. You know who you are. Thank you all for all that you did to encourage us. Keith was a very close friend, a mentor, a father figure, and yes, it is a in our lives. Sit down this morning and I started writing a few thoughts in relation to that. I wrote this By faith, we know that God's way is best and that in His sovereign wisdom, He is working things out according to His perfect will. Now, in faith, we embrace that. That don't mean our emotions are always caught up with our faith. But in our humanity, we grieve deeply when His perfect will brings pain into our lives. There's a number of poems that I like. We have this poem book at home called Blessings. Forget the name of it. Some man compiled a bunch of poems, put them together. And uh, two of those poems came to my mind again. Well, one especially, and then the second one. The first one is, He maketh no mistake. My father's may way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark, and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. Which now I cannot say my eyesight's far too dim. And come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift, and plain it all he'll make. Though all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. Faith was he who has promised is another poem that I appreciate. Are you passing through a testing? Is your pillow wet with tears? Do you wonder what the reason why it seems God never hears? Why it is you hear no answer of your oft-repeated plea? Why heaven is still laden as you wait on bended knee? Do you wonder as you suffer whether, whether God does understand? If so, why he ignores, seems to, to hold you in his hand? Do black, crowds, do black doubts creep in and assail you? Fears without and fears within, till your brave heart almost falters and gives away to deadly sin. All God's testings have a purpose. Someday you will see the light. All he asks is that you trust him. Walk by faith and not by sight. Do not fear when doubts beset you. Just remember he is near. He will never, never leave you. He is always, always near. Faith was he who has promised he will never let you fail. Daily will the strength be given, strength for each and strength for all. He will gladly share the pain with you. He will gladly give you peace. Till your tired and weary body finds it blessed and sweet release. When the darkened veil is lifted, then dear heart you'll understand why it is you had to suffer, why you could not fill his hand, giving strength when it is needed, giving power and peace within, giving joy through tears and trials, giving victory over sin. 
So till then, just keep on trusting through the sunshine and the rain, through the tears and through the heartaches, through the smiles and through the pain, knowing that our Father watches, knowing daily strength he'll give, victory for each passing hour, this is life, so let us live. I like those two poems. There's another poem that uh, I thought I had somewhere at home and I couldn't find it. I asked my wife, and here she had it in her Bible. And I want to share that one with you as well, but I want to give a little explanation first. Um, for anyone to become a widow or a widower is a traumatic and transforming life experience. But for the wife of a minister, there's another dimension that goes beyond, I believe. Uh, I know for Sister Joyce Good, after Gerald passed away, her life changed so dramatically it was an additional struggle because for someone who was in Gerald's uh, level of responsibility or Keith's level of responsibility, every week he's somewhere meeting with people and doing things and interacting in committee work and, and most often when a man goes home from those type of meetings he needs somebody to talk to and that's his wife. So the wife is, the wife is interconnected with so many facets of church life, and they're connected with all of that. And suddenly when Brother Gerald passed away, then Joyce's connection to the valley here and, and all of that, it just, it just stopped. And it seems going to be that way for Sister Eva. You know, she, her connection to Bank and Raleigh will be, be so different now. And Keith's work, his writing curriculum, his, all of that, uh, she won't hear about it every evening like she was used to. So especially remember Sister Eva. You know, everyone's going to face a lot of change who was connected to Brother Keith in any way, but Sister Eva's change is going to be beyond what the rest of us can, can even imagine. A poem, The Preacher's Wife. There is one person in your church who knows the preacher's life. She wept and smiled and prayed with him. That's your preacher's wife. She knows your prophet's greatest point and knows his greatest strength. She's heard him speak in triumph tone and in his triumph fire. In his soul, when bitter raged the strife, as hand in his she knelt with him, for she is the preacher's wife. The crowd has seen him in his strength when glistening his sword is drawn. And beneath, underneath, God's banner folds, he faced the devil's horde. <clears throat> but she knows deep within her heart that scarce an hour before, she helped him pray the glory down behind a fast-closed door. You tell your tales of prophets brave who walked across the world in changery by burning worlds they, words they hurled. I'll tell you how that back of them some women lived their lives who wept with them and prayed with them. They were the preacher's wives. In your mailboxes this morning, you'll find two pieces of paper that I wanted to share with you all as a congregation uh, as a way of giving you some more insight to Brother Keith's contribution to our congregation and to the church at large, and also as a way of keeping that memory and those activities going. The first one is a piece of paper, you'll find it has the names of everybody who came to church here a year or two ago. It needs to be updated. But one of the th first things that Keith did, I think the second time we met with him after he started serving here as bishop, 
uh, we didn't ask him to. He did this on his own. He made a monthly prayer list for the ministry to use uh, to encourage us to pray regularly for the congregation. And uh, he did a really good job of mixing it up. If you notice that maybe some young children aren't on here, some newborns, it's because it is in need of updating. This is the second edition. He updated it once for us. But I thought it would be good if we would all have this and we would all use it as a congregation. So you will find Keith's ministerial prayer list he compiled for the ministry to use in your mailbox this morning. And uh, feel free to use it and add to it as needed. The second thing you will find in your mailbox is a paper that looks like this. On the front side, it's Considerations from 2,000 Years of Church History. And on the back side, you have uh, from 1517 up to the present, uh, excuse me, up to 1950, uh, lines of events. Yes, Lutheran, Reformed, the Church of England, Catholic, and other. This is a result of, most of you know Brother Keith was instrumental in putting together and compiling a church history book. They're probably using it at Berea. Uh, and he put tremendous amount of years and hours into those studies. At the same time, he was also at Minister Study Week. Uh, it's pretty typical to have someone start back uh, at the beginning and teach on early church and then someone else or the same person take it up. So it takes about four years of minister sessions to go from Pentecost to present day, and then you kind of start over. And while Keith was working on that history book, he was also teaching back-to-back -back years, uh, taking us through stages of, of the history of God's people as he did that study. And he spent many, many hours during those years in research and reading and he would, take an, he would take an idea or a church movement from, from its beginning and follow it all the way through to its end. So when you do that with Lutheran, Reformed, Church of England, Catholic, Anabaptist, everybody, there's a lot of trends, and there becomes results, if you follow what I'm saying. This group did this, here's where they ended up. This group did this, here was the end result. When he finished that up in 2019, he also finished up his teaching on the series. He was teaching at Minister Study Week, and uh, we were in Canada that year. And he took this paper and handed it out up there. I had copies for everyone to pick up. And I remembered it, and praise the Lord, I found a copy in my file and uh, took it to Staples yesterday and had copies made of it. So you'll find one of that in each of your mailboxes. Uh, take it seriously. You know, he has a lot of good things on here that he personally felt he learned as he watched the development and the end result of ideals. And I remember he hit this one really hard at Minister's Week. He said, God's people will always be the little people in society, not the world shakers and movers. The church of Jesus Christ will always be a misfit in the world. And he went on. There's quite a few on here. Um, I had missed this. Myrna pointed it out to me last evening. True followers of Jesus can't expect to be great or famous. They can expect to die. The next bullet point is those who give all to follow Christ can know that God will use their lives and their deaths to build his kingdom. So, enjoy, be challenged.
God bless you. One other thing here that I have. It's too much information here this morning. Oh, yes. At, um, just some memories that have run through my mind. At conference on Wednesday evening, Brother Keith was moderating, and Brother Anthony uh, Landis was song leader, and I believe it was after he had Brother Joshua Good and Brother Mark Helmuth come up for a prayer of dedication for their ordinations. Uh, he asked Anthony to lead a song, and he's like, oh, what is that song? What is Lord of, Lord of? Of course, everybody was thinking, Lord, I'm earnestly, fondly, uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Lord, I'm earnestly, fondly long, because he'd always lead that song. But you always say, howdy. Remember that. Anyway, uh, and he said, oh, Lord of the church, we humbly pray. And I thought that was really fitting, and I want to read that to you. Lord of the church, we humbly pray for those who guide us in thy way, and speak thy holy word. With love divine their hearts inspire, and touch their lips with hallowed fire and needful strength afford. Help them to preach the truth of God, redemption through the Savior's blood, nor let the Spirit cease. On all the church his gifts to shower, let them a messenger of power to us of life and peace. So may they live to thee alone, and then hear the welcome word, well done, and take their crown above, and enter their master's joy, and all eternity employ in bliss and praise and love. So that was the last song that he selected there uh, in conference uh, before he left on his trip. So, all right, where are we at? A little bit of personal experience. Uh, I think Keith was elected moderator in 2018 or 19, so we've worked uh, really closely since then. Probably talked to each other every week on the phone, sometimes daily. And uh, sometimes those phone calls are just like, how are you doing today? And, and we'd talk about whether we discouraged or whether we wasn't or how we were doing compared to the last time we talked. And, and I'll miss that, but I'm thankful I have other team members that we have those same kind of conversations. So thank you, Luke and Lyndon, for that. Uh, we continue to have those conversations. So anyway, uh, that's how I enjoyed that type of relationship with Keith, and that meant a lot. Um, last earthly conversation we had was in front of Pike Church. I was sitting on the second bench, and he was sitting on the front, and we were getting close to the halfway point of the public session of conference, and he leaned over the bench and said, I think I'm going to go home after dinner. I said, really? Yeah. He said, Andrews are up there frantically packing to move to Guatemala, and he said, I'd just like to spend some time with the family. We'd just like to all be together for a while before they, before they fly out. I said, well, that's fine. We'll miss you, but go. And so they ate lunch and left, and we concluded conference uh, in the afternoon without Brother Keith's help. And uh, so that was our last conversation there. I didn't bother him anymore because I knew he was busy and getting ready to move. Fast forwards one week to Friday the 26th. Uh, I forget who was even preaching, but one of the men were preaching here that morning on some aspect of church life. And I was sitting, I got there a little bit late because I did chores before we went, and I was sitting about two-thirds to the back, and uh, John Perfect was sitting close to the front. Steve Good, assistant moderator, was sitting 
really close to the front. And I noticed Brother John Perfect stood up and went out of his bench kind of slowly and went up. He gave Steve Good a note. And, uh, and then John Perfect just walked out. Well, I didn't pay attention to him. And a little bit later, somebody gripped my shoulder. And it was JP, and he said, I want to talk to you. So I thought, well, he has something to tell me before he leaves. And he went to the back of the church. I expect him to go to the back bench and stop and tell me something. And he kept walking, and he went around the corner, and he kept walking, and went clean to the doors, outside doors. He gave me a piece of paper, and it had the details of what had happened on it. And, uh, wow, <laughs> I was transported back to 1984. My feelings was 1984. I was 16 years old. My dad had passed away. We'd had the funeral, and uh, everybody went. And uh, I remember I went out, uh, started milking that evening, and uh, it was just like a switch. It just hit me. You know, this is reality. This farm is not going to run itself. And I remember just feeling like a, a backpack full of rocks had got dropped on me. And that's the exact feeling that I had there in the back of Pike Church. But I'm thankful that we were together as a ministry. Many of us were there. We were able to meet together within, well, minutes actually, but more specifically probably within an hour or two, a number of us was able to get together and pray together and talk together and uh, pull together a team member from Bowie and Strasburg and offer them comfort and and offer support and help and whatever we could offer. We didn't know what we were offering, but we were offering. And uh, we're continuing to do that with Raleigh and uh, Strasburg as much as we can. And then I went back into church and, well, different things happened. But I was back in church then when they dismissed for lunch. And uh, Brother Steve got up, got up and read the note uh, telling that Brother Keith had passed. And he started by saying, <sighs> Keith's were in Guatemala, and everybody was like, yeah, uh-huh. and I was standing in the back, and, uh, and then he said, Brother Keith had passed away in an accident. <laughs> I had never experienced anything like that before. The men were sitting over here, and the women were over here. On the men's side of the church, it's kind of like, oh, but on the women's side of the church, there was a literal wail, like, oh, and, you know, and it happened simultaneously. It was just, oh, and I remember one lady just put her head forward on the bench in front of her, and, uh, Anyway, we went back out, a number of us went back out, and were talking to Brother J.P. and Brother Robert Mallow and uh, trying to get some idea of what, was, what, what needs to be done. And uh, we went back in. They were probably half done eating lunch. And the two days previous to that, during lunch, Shirley can attest to that, there was enough noise you could hardly feel yourself think. But I went back in there when they were about half done eating lunch, and it was just quiet. Just quiet. Reverence. And uh, anyway, Brother J. Roar whipped me up a plate of food, and I ate, and we moved on from there. So, as I said, I'm thankful that we were together. Uh, many of us as ministry were together when we got that word. I think it just gave us a good opportunity to to support and encourage each other uh, during a, a tremendously shocking moment in everyone's lives, everyone's experience.
What I'm going to say next has nothing to do with me. It's about Keith and the Lord. Bern and I were home that evening talking about it, and we both agreed that we felt completely devastated and completely at peace at the same time. And we began to have a conversation on how can we have these two feelings at the same time? How can you be completely devastated and completely at peace at the same time? And we concluded it was because we had no regrets in our relationships. I don't remember there was ever a conversation with Keith where I regretted it or felt bad about it later. And that makes it easier to process his death for me. And out of that, one of the challenges that I've been receiving in my life and that, could I say that about everyone I know? Is there, is every conversation that we have, if it's the last conversation we have with someone are we going to have peace if there's no chance to ever go back and change anything that we said? Think about that. And do we have a relationship with people that what we will say after they go will be exactly what we would have said before they went? I hope so. I hope so. All right. Turn with me and your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The God of all comfort, if you're looking for a title. The God of all comfort. I'm going to read verses 2 through 11. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us, comforteth us with all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether it be, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. <clears throat> and our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the suffering, so shall ye also be of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we are pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, and whom we trust, that we will yet deliver us. You also, helping together by prayer for us, 
that for the gift bestowed upon us, but that by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. So Paul starts out here writing, and let's think context a little bit. <clears throat> Paul had written the first letter. Some people think there may have been another letter that wasn't recorded in Scripture. I don't know. But we do have the recording of Paul's first letter to the believers at Corinth. And he had to address some hard and weighty issues in their lives. He had to deal with some very serious sins in the church, divisions in the church, attitudes in the church. There was just a lot of needs in that first letter that was addressed. Now we come here to the second letter, and he opens it up with comfort. And let's notice how he spoke into those lives of people who may have been experiencing hurt from the first letter and the fallout of that. And he comes in and he brings, he brings this, this concept of mutual comfort as the opening thought in this letter that followed the first. He talks about grace and peace from God our Father and from Lord Jesus Christ. He identifies the source from which we receive grace and which we receive peace. It is from God through the Lord Jesus Christ, an indwelling presence of His Spirit. And He invites us then in the rest of these verses to enter into that grace and to enter into that peace and to experience it. And there's a number of other verses like Mark 14, 36 says this, and He said, Abba, Father, this is Jesus in communion with His own Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Jesus, I believe, in the darkest hour of his earthly experience, there wrestling with what he knew lie ahead, the scourging, the pain, the suffering, and all those things that we can't even fully understand that were going to take place in the next 24 hours of his life. And he says, Abba, Father. We find that term used two more times. Romans 8, 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now we're included in that relationship that Jesus experienced with his heavenly Father. And we're called to, to lay off the bondage of the fear of men and, and the world around us because we've received the spirit of adoption. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and we join him, and we too cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 6. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth his spirit unto your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The spirit of God also cries out. You know, the Scripture tells us that when we reach the point in our lives in Romans 8 where we don't even know how to pray, the Spirit's there interceding for us on a level that goes beyond and deeper than what we can even understand, and that Spirit is crying, Abba, Father. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of deep reverence, of close relationship. Someone said it may, uh, maybe our word Papa would give us an idea of, of how we have that relationship and it's a term of close, deep, reverent endearment with our Heavenly Father. So we need to start there. 
Do we have that relationship with God? And out of that, can we then experience the comfort that is expounded upon in these verses? Verse 3, Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. And I hadn't thought that much about this. I know I've preached from this passage before. But Father of mercies, he's the originator. He's the source of mercy. He's the Father of mercies, and he's the God of all comfort. And I've wondered about that again today. There are people who don't know God that offer each other comfort. But how effective is it? Does the comfort that we experience as children of God much deeper, a much more meaningful, a much more sustaining comfort? Think about that. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Scripture says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I believe this, this privilege of offering each other comfort, offering each other compassion, is, is part of the spiritual blessings of being in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. 1 Peter says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're in him, and part of being in him is the privilege and the ability to minister to each other's hearts and lives in the, in the good times as well as the difficult times. And he comforted us in all our pressure. The word tribulation there means pressure. And there's many kinds of pressure that we experience in our lives. But God and his people are there and can comfort us in our pressure, in our pressure. Now, the word comfort or comforteth, comforteth or comfort is used four times in verse 4. But three times... It's one Greek word, and one time it's a completely different Greek word. And the different Greek word is the third time it's used by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So I'm going to read it uh, in more of a literal way. Four, uh, verse four, who, it's God. God, who draws us close in our tribulation, that we may be able to draw close to them which are in any trouble by the consolation wherewith we ourselves are drawn close to God. So the one word means consolation, the other word means drawn close. So three times in verse 4, it tells us how to enter into that mercy, how to enter into that comfort, and we enter in by drawing close to God. And we understand that when these types of things happen, when we're just totally at the end of ourselves, which we'll get to here in a few verses, then is when we truly draw closest to God. Verse 5, For our, our sufferings abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. We're in this thing together, and I don't fully understand it. Apostle Paul said he wanted to fill up the sufferings of Christ in his life, and we know he did, both physically and emotionally. But Jesus suffered and was tempted in all points like as we are. He understands. Jesus wept 
at the graveside or at the tomb side of Lazarus, even though he knew he's going to raise him back to life. Isn't that amazing? So it's in him that our comfort abounds. You notice the last three words there in verse 5? Our consolation aboundeth. That's something that just flows and overflows by Christ. And whether we have afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And whether we be comforted, drawn close to God, it is for your consolation and salvation. I hadn't thought much about that thought either, but he's saying here that the, the sufferings and the pressure, the tribulation that had came into the lives of Paul and the other apostles was actually for the benefit of the whole, of the, even the believers there at Corinth. He said, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and your salvation. We're better equipped to serve you because of the sufferings that we suffer in our own lives. And I believe that is so true. I meant to say this and I forgot. <laughs> it is out of brokenness that we can minister to other people, and let's never forget that. Keith said, a faithful, humble, self-giving leader is a tremendous help to a struggling church. I think that fits in here to what we have in verse 6. Verse 7, And our hope in you is steadfast, knowing that you are partakers of suffering, so you shall also be of the consolation. We're in this thing together. And as God draws us close in the pain of our lives, and he draws others close at the same time, we are together, and we draw closer to each other. You may have seen people draw this triangle for marriage at a marriage uh, seminar or, or wedding sermon or something where God's at the top and, and the husband and wife are at the bottom, and the closer they get to God, the closer they get to each other, and the closer they get to each other, the closer they get to God. It's the same thing here with uh, the idea of consolation and comfort uh, in trial and, uh, and giving uh, each other uh, encouragement. In verse 8, he talks about the trouble that they faced in their lives. He said, we, won't, we don't want you to not be aware of all the trouble came on us in Asia, for we were pressed out of measure. In other words, we, we faced hardship that we felt was beyond our ability to endure, according to the NIV, so that we despaired even of life. Have you ever been to that point in your, your life where it just seemed like the weight and the pressure of life was just so heavy that you were tempted to despair. You know, why, why keep fighting it? You know, why go on? Paul said, that's where we were at. That's where we were at. And you know, I have to be honest, Brother Keith struggled at times with feeling overwhelmed and overloaded. He never told me he was thinking about giving up. No, never ever that. But he felt pressure. He, if my plate is the size of a coffee cup saucer, his plate was the size of a big meat plate. And I was amazed at how his plate was running over. But when he seen a need somewhere, he would attempt to put that need on top of his already full plate and minister there. He told me, and I think someone else had maybe referred to this last Sunday, he had told me a couple times, said, Philip, I just don't know why we didn't give you a couple churches so I could go help in West Virginia. He just, he really had a heart for anywhere there was a struggle. He truly would have liked to just went back to West Virginia and just help those churches in any way he could. 
He also really had his heart in Guatemala. He would have just loved to have been there more. And the uh, fact is, I told the ministry team on Thursday, I think maybe we talked on the phone uh, individually about uh, some needs. And, and we talked about the fact, you know, we've got about four and a half years to pick Keith's brain before he moves to Guatemala because we know when he has his 70th birthday, his heart is in Guatemala. And isn't it unique that God called him home to heaven from the place where he desired to retire? Not retire, but serve till he couldn't serve anymore. His heart was in Guatemala. He said, you know, they're short on bishop help. They're, they just need oversight. It's just his heart was just, oh, if he could just be there more and help. And if he could just go to West Virginia and help back there. His plate was full, but he was always wishing he could put more on, but it was full and running over. Don't give up. Look around. Look at the needs of others and be inspired to keep on keeping on like our deceased brother was. The answer to verses 8, the answer to the dilemma in verse 8 is found in 9 and 10. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God which raiseth the dead. You notice this word here is raiseth the dead, not did raise the dead but he continues to raise us up. Is there a song that has a line in it? You raise me up to more than I can be. God continues to raise us up and raise us up as we depend on him and as we fall upon him. And I believe God loves it when we come to the end of ourselves and just fall upon him. Say, God, it's you from here out. I can't see my way through. And God can step in and he can work and he can lead. God raiseth up. God continues to deliver and to give strength. Verse 10, who delivered us from straight a death. What death have we been delivered from? We've been delivered from eternal death. Hell, through Jesus Christ. And if he can deliver us from that, how much more can he deliver us from the trials of this life? And doth deliver. He continues to deliver. In whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Paul said, we're under pressure. But we are confident that God will deliver. God will meet the need. Now, he invites the believers at Corinth to enter into that need. You also helping together by prayer for us that the gift bestowed upon us by any means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on your behalf. Let me leave you dead after. As you help us <coughs> by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And if you don't remember anything else today, remember verse 11, saying we're all in this thing together. God is the one who can and will deliver us. God is the one who will work. We don't understand his power. Oh, yes, we didn't mean to say that. We don't understand the end of his purposes. We're learning to understand his power. But he's saying that we're all in this thing together. Earlier he said, we, we suffer because you're going to benefit from that as a, as a body of believers. And now he's saying as a body of believers, we invite you to enter into that blessing because 
As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And I want to leave us with that verse today. Let's enter in together in prayer. We don't know exactly how this will all work out and unfold. Brother Keith wore many hats and filled a big set of shoes. And our goal right now is not to do a lot of communication via email and text as it relates to that. Our goal is to sit down and have face-to-face -face meetings as, as leadership teams. Sit down and have face-to-face -face meetings with people to ascertain what all those hats were and how big that pair of shoes were as it related to the life of the church and to gently but yet responsibly start to try to fill some of those voids where people are asking for help and having them filled, uh, but yet do it gently enough that everyone has time to grieve the loss. And we need much prayer for that, much prayer. And he said here that many people will give thanks as they see God answering in behalf of the prayers that are offered up. So let's enter together in prayer. Let's trust God. He maketh no mistake. No, we don't understand, and we probably won't understand on this side of eternity. But let's trust Him. Let's be broken before the cross of Jesus Christ, and let's pray and support each other as we seek God's path forward. May God add His blessing.